The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So last week we started talking about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Nina did such a wonderful job launching us into this conversation. And, and it, I think if, if last week I, I could kind of capture, Nina approached this by saying and asking the question, who do I pray to? Who do I pray to? What is this God that we pray to? Is he distant? Is he disconnected? Or is he something else? This week... I want to begin asking the question, not who do we pray to, but what do we say? Now, this is a question that's been going through my mind ever since I was a little kid. What do I pray for? Like, is, it, what, is there a specific formula? Or do I just pray what's on my mind? You know, my parents taught me to pray. And I know that Nina taught talked last week about how we are like children, right, walking and talking with our, our, our Father. That's what, that's what prayer is about. But what do we say to our Father when we're walking and talking with Him? How do I know if prayer is actually working? And if it's not, does that mean that I'm praying for the wrong things or in the wrong way? Is there a formula to follow? You know, maybe you've recently experienced something really difficult in your life, and you've been praying about it and praying about it, and God hasn't answered your prayers, and he hasn't felt present. How do we wrestle with that? Maybe you know of a family who has been praying for a miracle for years and years, and that miracle hasn't happened. Does that mean God's not listening or questions like, why doesn't God get rid of all the evil and suffering in the world when we pray about it? I mean, if he's powerful enough to, why doesn't he? Or why won't he give me a relationship or a friendship when I'm so lonely? That's all I want, and he can't give me that one thing? You know, prayer is hard. And when we don't get the answers that we are looking for from God— it gets even harder. And it can create a tension in us. And I think this tension begins to unpack a really important question when we talk about prayer. And that is this. What is the point of prayer? Is it about getting things from God? Is it about laying our requests in front of God and having him give us what we want in our hearts? Or is it about something else entirely one of the great teachers of prayer in Canada, his name is John Smed, and he wrote this fascinating piece on prayer. And he says, uh, he, he, um, he talks about two different types of prayer. He says default prayer and kingdom prayer. He says that oftentimes we view prayer as default prayer. And we'll put up, and this is, you know, this is how the Lord's Prayer would be prayed if we followed the default version. It's focused on ourselves, not our Father in heaven. It's focused on making a name for myself, not on hallowing God's name. 
It's to bless my plans, to build my kingdoms, to reveal, relieve my struggles, for, for worry for present urgencies in my life. It's a focus on ourselves. And he writes this. He says, the problem with default prayer is not so much what we ask for. I mean, Jesus even tells us that we should, we should ask for the things that we, we feel he, we, we need, what we want. He says that he's a good father who knows how to good, give good gifts to his children. But default prayer is focused on the wrong thing. So it's not about asking for the wrong things. It's about the focus on the wrong thing. The object of default prayer, you notice, is ourselves. Not on God. It's selfish. It's self-turned in on self. And life is then seen through our eyes and nothing else. We pray default prayer because we look at life through the wrong end of the telescope. Have you ever you know, looked through the telescope in the wrong direction, things get very narrow, very small, very focused. But the true object of prayer is to turn it around. The true purpose of prayer is to, to look through the telescope from the other end, not at ourselves, but at God. And that's where the perspective begins to open up. This is called kingdom prayer. Kingdom prayer is not focused on ourselves. It's focused on God. This is the incredible power of the Lord's prayer, I think. And it opens ourselves up to the power and the presence of God in a way that we cannot get to on our own. When we look at the Lord's Prayer in the way that Jesus teaches us, it rewires how we even approach prayer itself. And I wonder if this is how Jesus modeled it for us, and I think, I think it is, and I also then wonder, wow, amazing, that this prayer begins with the you know, our Father in heaven as the, the adoration, and then move so quickly into hallowed be thy name. Now let's talk about that. Because if every line of this prayer refocuses us on God and his power, then hallowed be thy name is the first domino in the train, right? That begins the movement towards God's presence in our world. What's interesting is that this is a petition. It's a plea. Hallowed be thy name. It's not an adoration. It's not something that we're praising God for. It's something that we're asking God for. You know, a petition is something like this. Uh, if after church you, you, know, you want to play Xbox and you plead with your parents to let you play, that's a petition. You're petitioning them. Or uh, sometimes I will petition Tracy that we bake an apple pie. Please, let me take a pie from the freezer. Put it in the oven. That's a petition. And that's what this phrase, this line is in the Lord's Prayer. And actually, this one and the rest of them are all petitions. They're all requests, appeals, pleas to God. So this first petition, hallowed be thy name. What on earth 
does that mean for us to actually pray that in our own lives? Well, let me just unpack two words for us and we'll see how this is, uh, is done. So first, hallowed and then name. Okay, so two, two very important words in this line. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you have used the word hallowed in a sentence in the last week? What about the last month? Or year? Anyone use this word before in their life? Okay, a few people are using. Okay, so if this is su- so, this is Jesus' model prayer. This is he's teaching us how to pray, and he uses a word that we never use. Shouldn't we talk about that? Okay, so let's talk about it. Um, what what on earth does this word Hollywood mean? You know, it's interesting, as the Bible over the years has been translated and updated into more modern language, so the NIV, for example, the one that's in our pews, um, I think the latest version uh, is, you know, 2011, but there's an 84 version and a 56 version. There's, there's a whole bunch of different versions, and they keep changing the language to reflect the words that we use on a daily basis. And yet, this word has not changed. Hallowed be your name. It used to be hallowed be thy name. Now it's hallowed be your name. Hallowed. And the reason for that, that it hasn't changed, is because, like some Greek words, there is not a real good English equivalent that the translators can say, yes, this is what this word means. It's got nuance. It's got layers to it. And so, as Bible nerds, they've put their heads together and said, yeah, I think we should probably stick with this. Even though nobody knows what it means, we can't find a good word that really captures what this word is getting at. And so I'm going to try to unpack this for us this morning a little bit more. And first what I'm going to do is by uh, describing a little bit about what Hallowood means. Wesley Hill is is a New Testament scholar, and he describes it as, he says, what it means to hallow something is to make it uncommon, to make something special. So I brought something that is, I think, a little bit hallowed in the Regling household. I'll hold it up for us this morning. Anybody recognize these? Now, most people, hopefully everyone who's been connected to the First Hamilton community in the past year and a bit, uh, received, last year, received uh, a pottery set that um, was a part of our our uh, study on uh, the Lord's Supper. And now in our household, uh, in the Regling household, this pottery set is hallowed. It's special. It's, it's uncommon. It does not look like the rest of our plates and cups. We do not use it like the rest of our plates and cups, meaning that our children do not eat their peanut butter toast off of it. It does not get thrown in the dishwasher. Am I right? You, know, you were careful with it. It is special. What do you have in your house that is uncommon, that is hallowed, that is, you know, set apart from everything else? Perhaps it's china or a painting that's been in the family for generations or even, you know, a memory in your head that is so special and so set apart from the other ones that we could call it hallowed. Okay? 
to make something uncommon. That's what this word is getting at. To hold something in, in such distinction or high regard. But there's another layer, I think, that we can dig down into describing this word. Because on the one hand, it, yeah, it is to make something uncommon, but it also, whenever we look at this word in the rest of the scriptures, because it does appear again, it always refers to holiness. It describes people who are holy or righteous, sanctified. And so there's a deeper spiritual level to the word hallowed that we have to recognize. One pastor, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, explains it like this. He says, the word hallowed means to sanctify or revere or to make and keep holy. There is a deep reverence that's connected to this word too. When we say hallowed, there is a spiritual distinction that we have to recognize. But what exactly are we hallowing? I love this word. Can you tell? It's just a fascinating hallowing. That's a, pull that one out at a dinner party when you, you know, it's, it'll score you some, uh, some friends maybe. Um, what, are, what are we hallowing? Hallowed be thy name. So in the Bible, names are so important. They, are, they refer to something beyond just the person themselves, and they speak about a person's identity, or their origin, or their birth circumstances, or even the purposes that they will fulfill in their life. There's prophetic overtones to certain words that are given in the scriptures. For example, the word Naomi means pleasant one. Or Abraham was renamed by God after God called him and made a covenant with him. And the word Abraham means father of many. Or Moses, the name means to pull out or draw out of water, which refers to the way that Moses was, you know, born and named, right? He was drawn out of the water of the Nile, but also points forward at how God would use him as a leader of the Israelites when they moved out of Egypt and through the waters of the Red Sea. So there's prophetic overtones to, to names. There's identity pieces. Names are very important and they're very specific. And every name comes with a description, even God's name. God has a name. You know, it's, and it's not God. It's something else. So when God reveals himself to people in scripture, he uses a very specific name. And I'll um, just explain it to you briefly. I don't want to dive too deep into this rabbit hole, but um, God's name is four Hebrew letters. Okay? Yod, He, Vav, and He. And in Hebrew, there's no vowels. So those are just four consonants. Okay? And this is where, if we transliterate, so that means just take the pronunciation from these four characters, yod, he, vav, he, and put them together and pronounce them in English, we get the word Yahweh. Has anybody heard that before? Yeah. Whenever in the, the Old Testament, you, it's not the, the word, not, not the word God, but the word the Lord, the one in all caps, that is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And this is a very interesting name in the Bible because it's actually a bit of a pun. 
God's name is a, I don't want to sound, God's name is a little bit of a joke in a way because it's most commonly translated, I am who I am. This is how God reveals himself to Moses when, God, when Moses is at the burning bush and God sends him to, to be the leader of the Israelites. And, and Moses is like, well, how, who do I say sent me? Like, what's your reputation? What's your identity? What's your clout? Like, how do I describe the person who is sending me to be the leader? And he says, tell them I am who I am sent you. Tell them the existing one sent you. Do you see how that's funny? How God says, yes, I can be known, but not known. I can be described, but not described. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't know anything about God's character. We can. He reveals himself through the way that he carries himself through the pages of Scripture. One uh, pastor, I've already referred to him, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he shares uh, some of the things we can know about God, and he says this. He says, God reveals himself in the great and wonderful name Yahweh, which really means self-existent one. I am that I am. But there were other names in which God describes himself, such as the Lord will provide, the Lord heals, the Lord our banner, the Lord our peace, the Lord our shepherd, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord is present. He continues, as you read the Old Testament, you will find all these names used. And it's because God was revealing himself and something of his nature and being, his character and his attributes to us. In a sense, the name Yahweh stands for all that. God has revealed himself to us. We can know about him. We can read about him and his character. And yet, he can never really be fully described. He can never really be fully understood. He is known, but not known. It's something that we say at First Hamilton all the time. God is good, and all the time, God is good. But there is something about God's goodness that cannot be comprehended. We do not always know the ways of the Lord. God is not like us. God is hallowed. And this is where I want to loop back to the petition that we started with. See, Jesus is teaching us to begin our prayers by asking that God would be the highest, most set-apart thing in our lives and in the lives of others. We pray, hallowed be your name, because God's name, God's holiness, God's priorities, God's very reality is to be the most important thing in our lives. He is all that we need. God's name is hallowed. And this is where we find the beginning of our problems. Because we don't live this very well. We often don't believe that God's name should be hallowed or sacred or set apart in our lives. Because oftentimes we want our own name to be hallowed. We want to be known. We want to be set apart. We want to be special. And we are pretty good at working hard to make that happen. This is how one pastor put it. He, he says, how we think about God 
is like a mirror to our souls. It shows us what's deep inside. Maybe the truth is that we want to name ourselves and to name God because we want a God who is controllable. We want to be the authority on our own terms and not submit to a God who tells us what's right and wrong. What do you seek? Whose name is hallowed in your life? Is it your name or God's name? You know, this is actually the most ancient of temptations in our world. It goes all the way back to the first page of Scripture in the garden with Adam and Eve where Adam and Eve faced a question. Do we hallow God's name or hallow our name? Do we take the fruit and eat it or trust that God knows what's best for us? You see, the truth is that no matter how hard we try to get it right, if we try to find the good life, if we try to define right and wrong on our own terms, it will always lead us short. We will never be able to satisfy the longing in our hearts to be holy, to be blameless, to be the way that God is. We want to be God, but we can never fully get there. We want to make a name for ourselves, but we can never really get that name that we want. And it's so frustrating. And so we hunt, and we hunt, and we search, and we search, and we try, and we try, and we burn ourselves out because we work so hard trying to make a name for ourselves. And Jesus tells us, stop. It's not worth it. You can't do it. Because you are not meant to be hallowed. God is. And that's his place. That's who he is. So what do we do about this? How do we get to, place, get to a place where we hallow God's name, where we plead with him that his name would be hallowed in our lives and in the world? Well, we look at the, the one who's teaching us to pray. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He shows us the hallowed God himself who humbled himself, became common. He became like us, a human being, a mortal man. More than that, a sinner. The hallowed God was broken for you. Paul writes in Corinthians, for God, for, you, for our sake, God made him to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See that? It's a two-way exchange. By grace, Jesus takes our sin, our brokenness, our making a name for ourselves, and the problems that we get into because of that. And he exchanges that. And we receive his perfect righteousness. And we receive in Christ a new name. When we baptized, last week we baptized Lyndon. He received a new name. You know what name he received? He received child of God. Loved. 
accepted, forgiven. This is the two-way exchange that we receive on the cross where Jesus takes our name upon himself and gives us a new one. And Paul writes about the reality of this new life. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be seated with him in the heavenly places. We are raised up with Christ. We ascend, right? The waters of baptism, baptized into his death, lifted up in his resurrection. That's eternal life. That is what we receive. That is a promise. And so guess what? We can pray this. Really pray this. We can give up trying to chase a name for ourselves and worship him. Give ourselves to him. He's worth it. And he'll give us everything that we need. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we acknowledge God's power and his holiness. And we ask for his power and holiness to fill us. And that's a scary thing because it takes us out of the driver's seat. But look at Jesus. And look at what he gave. And we know that this, this is not a bad decision. This is the way to life. And so we begin our prayers petitioning God to make his name sacred and holy in our lives and around the world. And it's the first step at looking through that microscope in the right direction. And we see the greatness, the grandeur, and the power of a holy God who brings us out of our sin and into eternal life. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's pray. God Almighty, your name is great. Your name is the name above all names. And yet we struggle so much to trust that you are who you say you are. Father, help us this week as we begin to pray, hallowed be thy name, that this would be something that we think about, that we meditate on, that we, um, yeah, are challenged by. Give us your Holy Spirit, Father. Fill us with your power and fill us with your holiness. Help us, Father, to live this every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.